we're talking about principles from the life of Christ that he taught the disciples so that they could carry the ministry forward. It's not a matter of a program. It's not a matter of saying, okay, well, let's design something that City Church can market and put their name on and have sell books and say, this is the way we're doing things. Um, Because it's not that. It's a matter of looking at how did Jesus prepare 12 men, one of which who walked away from him, to take a message of salvation to the world. Because always, from Genesis chapter 12 forward, we see God's plan. We see that Jesus, that God told Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and from you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that nation of Israel built and became a great nation eventually, but because they were disobedient to what the Lord had to say, He distributed them out among the world, and then eventually when the time came, when the time was right, as Galatians 4 says, Jesus came, and now this message no longer is everyone come to Jerusalem to hear about a relationship with God, but now the message goes to the world. And because of these principles from the life of Christ, it's not a matter of saying it has to look and be a specific way. It's not determining what style of music you're going to use, what style of dress you're going to have, whether you're going to have pews or chairs, whether you're going to have a church with stained glass, or you're going to have a, a building you rent from somebody else. That's really not the issue. Because you can go worldwide and churches look different everywhere you go. I don't know if I shared this, but I've, I've had church on the side of the road. I think I shared this, where they pull up on a, in a bus and blow the horn and everybody comes out of the fields. You have church by the bus and they go back in the fields and you drive on to the next place. I remember sitting on a broken down bed under a tree in someone's yard and having church with five or six of us. But I've also been in churches where there's thousands of people. And so it, it's depend. that's really not the issue as to style of, of worship and those kind of things. So we're going to look at these principles. And so, so far we looked at, in evangelism, Jesus began to cultivate relationships. And, and he sowed the seed and he reaped the harvest. We saw that in John chapter 4 and John chapter 3 with, with Nicodemus and with the Samaritan woman, that Jesus built these relationships. He did that by asking questions, by getting to know the person and their need, not just coming with a ready-made answer. And he sowed the seed. And then when the time came, he said, look, the fields are white unto harvest. And all the people from Samaria came, and, and he brought them to a relationship with himself. And so we see that. We see that last week we talked about to establish believers in their faith, we baptize them. And we didn't talk about mode of baptism or those kind of things, but the issue is that initial step of obedience to what God's called us to do so that we are now part of his family. We are now part of the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then we begin from there to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us. Now with that, we talked about discipleship equals investment. Now the problem is, in most churches, they stop right here. If they even get to this far. But in most churches, they stop right here. They lead people to the Lord. They take them through some sort of teaching, whether it's how to become a member of the church or a discipleship course, or they get them involved in a Sunday school or a city group or something like that. And they kind of leave it there. But we need to go a step further. We need to realize that Christ has called us to more, and Christ did this with the disciples. 
In Luke chapter 6 and Mark 3, I combine them because I want us to get the whole gist of what was going on here. It says, In those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And he appointed twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. He spent all night in prayer before choosing twelve men who would be his disciples. You say, well, that should be pretty easy. He only had twelve following him, right? You pick out the twelve that had been following you the whole time. No. He had thousands of people who were following him at this point in time. And we, we put the two passages together because Mark doesn't emphasize the fact that Jesus spent all night in prayer. He just says that he picked twelve and he names them. But as we put the two together, we realize that Jesus went up and he spent all night in prayer to determine out of these thousands of people which twelve does the Father want me to invest in, to pour my life into, for them to be with me, to learn how to do it, and to send them out. Now, if you think about it, out of those twelve, one didn't make it. But Jesus selected him based on what the Father had told him to do. And too often, we decide we want to invest in someone, we want to build someone up, we choose someone based on how much money they give to the church, how faithful they are to coming and setting up on Sunday mornings, which, by the way, we could use some help. Um, it's just a quick announcement there. Um, but uh, So, you know, we, we base it on those kind of things rather than some, sometimes saying, Lord, who do you want me to invest in? I'll be honest with you. we got a young man coming on staff with, with Crossover right now that... Everything in me wants to say, you need to find somewhere else to work. Um, you know, just, I don't, but the Lord won't let me let go of it. And so the other day I sat down with him and I said, you know what? What I want you to do is I want you to slow down a little bit on coming on board, but let's spend some time developing you to be what God's called you to be. Now, I may spend the next year and... Still not hire him. I don't know. But the point is, God put it on my heart that he doesn't have a whole lot to offer me. He doesn't have a whole lot to give to crossover. He even drives me crazy sometimes. But I'm to invest in him because God has brought him into my life. And even though we may be talking about, in some ways, selecting people who will be leaders in the church, reality is, who are you, we talked about last week, who are you investing in? Who has God put in your path, in your heart, who sometimes maybe drives you crazy? Sometimes you think that they're not going to make it. But God has put them in your life to invest in, and you are called upon to invest in them. Now, there are some things we need to look for as we begin to invest in people, because we can waste time. We don't want to waste the, the resources that God has given us, which is people. Not, I'm not talking about, we hear the word stewardship and we talk about money. Well, that's not necessarily always the issue. I'm a steward of the people that God has put into my life. And who do I develop and how do I develop them? But I need to be careful not to, as the Scripture says, cast pearls before swine. There's sometimes you invest in somebody that you end up going, man, that was a big waste of time. And, and I hate to say it that way, but that's the reality of life. So as we begin to think through who are we going to invest in, there's some questions we need to ask. We need to look at. Matthew 16, 24 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself 
take up his cross and follow me. As I begin to sit and think through, who am I going to invest in? I need to look at, are they willing to deny themselves? Are they willing to take up their cross and follow Christ no matter what? Because here in the South, in the United States, everybody likes to talk about Jesus. And everybody wants a relationship with Jesus. Now, usually what that means is I want to make sure that day when I breathe my last that I might make it to heaven. And it's amazing to me how many people live totally ungodly lives who make it to heaven in the obituaries. You ever notice that? You know, but, but we all, there's this easiness to being part of a church. There's this easiness to being in a relationship with Jesus. Now, if I'm going to invest in someone, I don't want someone who's always necessarily looking for the easy way. I want someone looking for the right way. Sometimes that right way is an easy path. Sometimes it's a hard path. Sometimes it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. When Judy and I were on staff with Crossover in the late 90s, and I started looking for a church to serve. And so we fly to Palestine, Texas, and sit down with a church that says, okay, at one time we had 300 people, now we have about 75. We're four years old, you're going to be the fifth pastor. We're $77,000 in debt, and we'll pay your family of six $2,000 a month to move all the way across the country to Texas to be a pastor. That made no sense whatsoever. You know, most people probably looked at us and said, that's the stupidest thing you could ever do. But God said, no, this is where I want you. Sometimes following the Lord doesn't make sense as we look at it from our perspective. But as we're going to invest in people, we want to invest in people who are saying, you know what, it may not make sense, but this is what God's called me to do, and I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to to give up what's comfortable for me to follow the Lord. Another characteristic we need to look for. John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We need to invest in people who are willing to love people. Now, I don't mean love like we see on TV and in the movies, where everything makes you feel good and you walk away and your stomach's all churned up because you... You know, you're in love. Now, you should tell teenagers, don't think you're in love after that one date. Go back and look and see what you ate on that date because that's what your stomach's feeling. So just, just get through with that and move on. You know, it's not that kind of love. It's a love that says, I'm committed to you to see what's best for you no matter what. There's going to be times when I'm going to enjoy that. There's going to be times when it's going to be miserable. There's going to be times when you and I are getting along and everything's great. There's going to be times when I have to call you and say, hey, can we have lunch? And when we sit down at lunch, I go, man, you can't keep doing that. Because I love you. And I want to see the best for you. So if we're going to invest in people, we need to invest in people who also have that kind of love. Love for Jesus and love for other people. Then John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. Now, bearing fruit, what does that mean? I have that question asked all the time. Because people say, well, I'm not really an evangelist, and I haven't led a lot of people to the Lord, so am I bearing fruit? You know, and then some people say, well, you don't really have to ever talk to somebody about the Lord. You just got to show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you just have those fruit, then, then that's okay, too. It's really kind of a combination of all. The reality is, the fruit is your life reflects Christ. Sometimes that reflection is the fruit of the Spirit. Sometimes that reflection is leading people to Christ. Sometimes that, you know, I don't know what all it looks like, but it's, it's easily discerned. Judy and I had a peach tree in Texas. And the guy who planted it that was there before us planted it in kind of a unique spot so that it got sun on one side of the tree, but not the other side of the tree. But it had really good peaches. One, one summer, we had really good peaches. We went on vacation. I said, I'm going to pick those peaches when I get back. And somebody in the neighborhood decided they were going to pick them before me. When I got back from vacation, they were all gone. But, uh, but that tree, because of the way it was, it grew at an angle. And one, sun, one summer, it had so much fruit on it, it gave way and broke and fell to the ground. Now, those peaches were great when I was getting them off of a fresh, live tree. The ones I picked up off the ground that the tree had fallen on and laid there for a while, and the dogs had chewed on, the birds had chewed on, that's not good fruit. And I didn't have to pick it up and take a bite to figure out it was not good fruit. I could look at it and tell it wasn't good fruit. I hear all the time, in today's society especially, doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? Yes, it does. But in that same context, it says you will know them by their fruit. And so we need to be careful that we don't invest in someone who's bearing bad fruit. And you'll know it when you see it. The fruit of what Christ is doing in someone's life is obvious. And when you see that, we begin to invest in that person to help them bear better fruit and more fruit. So now we see we've got the people we should be investing in. How do we do that? What should we do? So what's, what's next on the agenda? Well, what did we say that Jesus told the disciples to do? To baptize them and to teach them to obey all that he's commanded. How do we do that? Is it just because on a Sunday morning, Wade or Brian says it from up front, so therefore that we've taught it, so now everybody goes on and everything's okay? No, I think there needs to be more than that. I think this teaching needs to be a preparing them and a mobilizing people. It needs to be investing actually in them to get it done. So how do we do that? How did Jesus do it? Well, first thing is we tell them how to do it. Luke chapter 8, they watched Jesus teach. Luke 11, they said, teach us to pray. And he didn't say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. Go every morning at 5.30, take 15 minutes and do ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You got it. Go ahead. See you later. No. They said, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray in this way. And he prayed with them. He showed them. He taught them how to do it. John 13. 
the night before he's betrayed. It says, Jesus, knowing that all things had been given into his hands, took aside a towel and girded himself and took a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And when it was all over with, he said, as you've seen me do, you do with one another. Now, he didn't mean just washing feet. But he meant being willing to take the lowest servant role that there is for one another. He taught them how to do it. He showed them how to do it. Just like we just said on that passage in Mark chapter 7. He sends them out in pairs. And he tells them, when you go out in pairs, these are the things you're going to do. You go into a city and the city rejects you, dust your feet off and walk away. You go into one city and they accept you, go in and eat with them. And, and so he, he, he does it with them. He shows them how to do it. Then again, do it with them. Remember, why did he choose them? He chose them so that they could be with him. You know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. When I was a youth pastor, when I was a youth, I used to despise... When you'd go to Six Flags all day, you spend 14 hours at Six Flags, you drive 30 minutes back to the church, and you've got to have a devotional when you get back. You know, I'm sorry that it, I sound rude about a devotional, but at 1 o'clock in the morning when I've been at Six Flags all day, I don't want a devotional. But you had to do that to make it a spiritual trip, right? Now, you spent 14 hours at Six Flags, you do a 10-minute devotional, that, that kind of that balances it out, right? Makes it all okay. But the point in that is, I want those teenagers with me when I'm standing in line for three hours to get on a 30-second ride. And it's 102 degrees. And everything in me is wanting to strangle everybody in front of me so I can get up there to the front. But they see that I use self-control. <laughs> they see that I don't strangle everybody else so I can get to the front of the line. They see that when I get up there and I'm getting ready to get on the ride and they go, oh, it's not working right now. I don't strangle the people that work there. I know y'all are thinking bad things about me now, about strangling everyone. But, but you know, that, I want them to see everything in my life, not just when I'm leading a devotional. But they see my life at Six Flags. They see my life at the mall. They see my life at Walmart, which is another test of my faith. And, but... That they see me living it out, not just saying it with my mouth. I'm investing in them. I'm doing it with them. Then we send them out to do it themselves. I mean, it's, it, it's just a basic apprenticeship. It's really what we're talking about. You tell them how to do it. You show them how to do it. You let them do it with you. You send them on their way to do it themselves. But too often, we try our best to teach somebody in a 35-40 minute message on Sunday morning how to live their life for Christ the rest of the week. And man, it's tough. That 35-40 minute message doesn't give me what I need to actually do this on a regular basis. To actually live this out. And how do we do that? Well, you say, well, isn't that the job of the leadership of the church? You know, we give the leadership of the church a hard time all the time. And I don't say that because the position I'm in now. I see it all the time. You see a pastor of a church of 5,000 people, and everybody says, well, I don't really know my pastor real well. Well, how do you expect that to happen? 
You know, the pastor can't be the one who invests in everybody. The pastor invests in a few who invest in others, who invest in others, who invest in others, who invest in others. If we're going to be in the city and for the city of West Columbia, everybody who's a part of this body needs to be invested in and investing in. So that we're constantly developing people to be what God's called us to be. We do that by teaching people the truth, by showing them how to live it, by living it beside them, and by sending them out. It's really not rocket science, but it does take time. It takes effort. It takes sleepless nights. It takes times of repeating yourself over and over and over again. In the three years that we see Jesus developing the disciples, how often did he have to repeat himself just to have them go, huh? But he invested in people. He poured out his life into their life. Now, we do this, why? Because we want a bigger church. No. not why we do it. Dr. Bill Jones says, any vision smaller than the world is too small. Why did God, Christ develop these disciples? Not so they could sit around in Jerusalem and build a nice big church and enjoy their time together and have communion and fellowship together. What did he tell them? Go. 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 The goal of all we've talked about so far is not to fill positions at the church, but to reach the world with the gospel. Are there positions that need to be filled at the church? Sure there are. We have two people who share duties in the, the children's ministry right now who every other week are back there with no help. We need help. But our goal is not just to have a time where we have a sign-up sheet and everybody signs up to help with the ministry of the church. That's part of it. But part of that reason for helping out with the kids is so that we're investing in others. So that we reach West Columbia and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about how big we can build city church. It's can we make an impact in the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, okay, Wade. Here we are now. You're talking about missionaries. Well, this is not just talking to missionaries. Matter of fact, when Jesus said this, that word didn't exist. There weren't missionaries. Everyone was called. You say, well, I don't live in Jerusalem. I don't live in Judea and Samaria. I, you know, but you do live in the earth. And if it wasn't for the fact that the disciples took this seriously, we wouldn't be sitting here today. We Gentiles would still be lost. But because they took the message to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. Now, it took a little bit of prodding from the Lord about chapter 6, 
7, 8 of, of Acts, needed a little bit of oomph. You know, they, they kind of stayed in Jerusalem for a while. But the issue here is concentric circles of influence, not geography. Because Christ has called us to reach the world with the gospel, but he has not called everyone to go to the other side of the world to do it. He's called some of us to go to our job every week. He's called some of us to go to our school every week. He's called some of us to go to our family. He's called some of... He's called us to go. Remember the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4? That Jesus had to go through Samaria. Remember, he didn't have to. He chose to. And he led this woman to himself. And what did she immediately do? She ran back into town and told everybody she knew. And they came. And he talked to them and said, eventually said, you know what, we're following him because of what he's told us now, not because of what you said. But they came to hear because of what she said. That sphere of influence that she had. She reached out to them. Investing in people, sending people out. Every believer needs to take a personal responsibility to reach the world with the gospel. You say, Wade, you're using hyperbole here. No, I'm not. Every believer needs to take a personal responsibility for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean everybody goes overseas and everybody learns another language. But it does mean that everybody is investing in somehow the ministry of taking the gospel to the world. And I don't say that just because I work for a mission agency. When 42% of the world's population has never heard the gospel. And yet we just opened a new church in West Columbia. I think maybe we're losing perspective somewhere. I'm not talking about 42% of the people who've rejected the gospel. I'm talking about 42% of the world's population who has never even heard the gospel. And yet, we can get on our radio stations and you hit the little search button and you're going to find 10, 12 radio stations that are talking about Jesus. Flip through the channels, you're going to see it on TV. I'd be willing to guarantee most everybody in this room has more than one Bible in their home. I'm not trying to make us feel guilty for those things. I've, done, you know, I've seen that too. You go on a mission trip, you feel guilty because you have all this nice stuff when you come home and you sit around for a day or two feeling bad until that nice stuff begins to feel good again and then you forget about it. You know, the, the issue is not whether we have stuff. The issue is not whether God has blessed us and, and we enjoy that blessing. The issue is He's blessed us to be a blessing. Stuart Briscoe says, God has never blessed you or taught you solely for your own benefit. And so there's a reason why we have all these things, and we need to take personal responsibility. So as we look back over the things we've learned the last few weeks, we've talked about how we're called upon to do evangelism. And again, that's not always 
Everybody's always successful at that. We talked about, I, I can share the gospel a hundred times with someone, and Bill Jones just looks at them, and they come to know Jesus. And I go, well, you know, I, I've shared, but if, some people have the gift of evangelism. And maybe you say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, but, God, but Christ has called us all to evangelize, whether we have the gift of evangelism or not. You used to have a guy at our church in Texas. I can't lift tables because I don't have the gift of service. Well, get your tail over there and lift. I don't care whether you have the gift of service or not. Pick the table up. Let's go, you know. I mean, and so I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't ever tell anybody about Jesus. No, that's not what it says. You know, but we all should be involved in evangelizing. We all should be involved in establishing new believers in their faith. Helping them to understand what does it mean. Let me go back just a second. Let's take this in a, in a different light for a minute. What if we decided we were going to have children? So we have three babies. But we decide that's all we needed to do. Brought them into the world. Our job's done. Sit them over there on the step. They'll make it. No, they're not. And Gil, what's going to happen to us if we do that? We're going to go to jail. Because we've brought babies into the world and we're neglecting them. Well, what we need to do is once we bring spiritual babies into the world, we don't need to neglect them. We need to pour into them. We need to establish them in their, their walk with the Lord. We need to, just like a small child, we need to teach them how to walk. We need to teach them how to eat. We need to teach them how to dress themselves. All these things. And, and as hard as that seems at the time it's going on, it, it really is kind of fun in a lot of ways. I mean, how many parents go, oh no, now they're walking. Oh golly. You know, you kind of, you hope for that day, right? You're holding them by their hands and you let go and, and they, and you, and and you just freak out when they take two or three steps. Then the next week, they're into every stinking thing. And you're going, what was I thinking last week when I was trying to get them to learn to walk? But, but it's that, this whole idea of you're, you're investing in them, you're, you're helping them learn all these things that they need to do. And then they become teenagers. And the idea there is you're beginning now to teach them how to do it themselves, how they're going to be adults and having to live on their own, skills that they need to learn, how to drive a car, how to get a job, how to be responsible. And in that time frame, there, there's times when they are very responsible. And there's times when you think, what? Where did that, where did that responsible student I knew yesterday go today? Because they've totally lost their minds. But they're in that stage where you're having to teach them and talk to them and show them and walk with them and then sometimes send them out on their own. You know, when my, my kids first started driving, I'd send them off in the car by themselves once they learned, they got their license. And you, you, you sit there at night going, okay, I heard them driving the driveway. Everything's okay now. You know, my kids, even today, if I get a text message from my kids, I don't stress. If my phone rings, I think, oh, somebody's dead. You know? 
because they don't ever call me about anything. Everything's text messaging, right? But, but you, you, you get to that point where, but you've got to send them on their way. I was 20 years old. I drove from Bangor, Maine to Atlanta, Georgia, 24 and a half hours straight by myself. Then my 20-year-old goes, can I drive down the street? I don't know, man. That's a long way. You haven't driven more than 30 minutes. That's going to be an hour. I don't know about that. You know, I don't know what my mom was thinking. <laughs> Let me drive. But, but, you know, so it's this idea, though, that we're equipping them to be adults. And the same thing's going to happen in the church. We begin to equip people to serve and to be what God's called them to be. Sometimes they're going to get it and they're going to grow and we're going to be excited. Sometimes they're going to go, huh? And we're going to have to repeat it. It's just part of life. It's what God's called us to be. But there also comes that point in time where you send them on their way. You let them be adults. You let them move out of the house. Sometimes you force them to move out of the house. But either way, you're sending them on their way. And you know what? You send them on their way and you think, wow, I made it. Then you have adult children. And you think, man, I wish I could change a stinky diaper again. Because it was a whole lot easier then. That stinky diaper, they may have screamed and cried. It may have smelled so bad you want to throw up and you got to deal with it. But man, that life, that decision didn't endanger anybody. It didn't break your heart. And as we invest in people and we begin to use them in ministry and work with them in ministry, there's going to be times when people get it right and we're so excited. There's going to be times when they break our hearts. But again, it comes back to investment. Are we doing what Christ has called us to do? I'm not responsible for how someone else responds. I'm responsible for how I invest in them and teach them and help them to grow and be all that Christ has called us to be. You say, well, Wade, how are we going to remember all ten of those? You only have to remember four. Evangelism, establishing, equipping, and extending. Even gave you four E's so you can remember it. And just process that through your mind as you're talking with people. And don't sit and tell them, oh, you're in the three, third E right now. Just letting you know. <laughs> Been keeping track, you're at the third E, so ready to get... No. But as we look at the way Jesus developed these disciples, knowing from the moment He began to talk to them, He knew He's got a certain amount of time and He's going to be crucified, buried, and rise again and leave these men with the ministry to reach the world with the gospel. Eleven men who were uneducated, who seemed to not get it very often, Jesus left them with, to reach the world with the gospel. And you know what the key factor is? He didn't leave them alone. He left them with the Holy Spirit who came and lived in them. And because the Holy Spirit was living in them, He began to, to push them to reach the world. And because the Holy Spirit was living in them, when they went to a different culture and a different understanding 
the Holy Spirit could speak to that person in that culture and in that understanding, and they come to know Christ, and they take that message to someone else in another culture and another understanding, because the, the issue's not how to be a Jew. The issue's not how to be a fisherman. The issue's not how to be a tax collector. The issue was how to be a follower of Christ. And these principles we've learned from the life of Christ can live, be lived through us. Why? Because the same Holy Spirit that empowered Christ, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and me if we are followers of Christ. And because we walk in the power of the Spirit and we follow what Christ has given us directions and clarity to do, then we make a difference in the world. Let's pray.